Welcome to the 16th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. Uh, we got a great show for you guys today. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Dave Latham. Dave, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. And then also joining me is my other co-host, uh, Jordan DeCoe. Jordan, also give a shout-out to the people, if you will. What's going on, people? So we have an interesting week of podcasts to talk about. Um, last week we did the All-Star show, so there wasn't much in the way of baseball. So we're going to get like into the swing of our usual routine. Now what we usually do is we break down each game of the series. We just concluded a three-game set with the Tigers. So we'll go through each of those games and pick out interesting things that happened and topics that are relevant for the Red Sox. So it should be a great episode, and, and let's get this one going. But before we even start the breakdown of the series, we need to talk about a very rampant trade rumor, a very interesting trade rumor. So across the Twitter sphere, across Red Sox blogs, people have been talking about a potential Michael Chavis Chavez for Zach Britton trade. Zach Britton is the closer of the Orioles, or setup man now. I don't know. Brad Brock might be a closer, but yeah, Zach Britton has been the perennial closer for them for a while, and he comes with a certain pedigree. A lot of teams are interested. He's starting to begin to recover from his injury, and look, he looks a lot better as he keeps getting more reps. Um, Chavez, obviously top Red Sox prospect. Um, he fell from grace after a PED suspension earlier in the year. But, yeah, there's a lot of talk about this, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Dave, I'll start with you. What do you think about this trade proposal for Michael Chavez for and for trade Zach Britton straight up? So if that trade were to happen, I'd actually be for it, but that's only because I am very low on Chavez as a prospect. Um, most people have him rated as one of our top prospects in the system. Nobody thinks he's going to ever be like a Hall of Famer, but a lot of people see a guy that can be a pretty solid starter in the majors if everything breaks right, and quite frankly, I've never seen that from him. I've uh, seen him in Portland a bit last year. I haven't had the chance to go down to see him this year. He's only played five games with the Seahawks. But what I saw in his breakout year, I didn't really see anything that special. I saw a guy who's a pretty good double-A hitter, but he's going to have to be a bat-first prospect. He can't really do much defensively. I really don't think he hits well enough to ever be a difference maker in the major league level. I really don't see that much of a deal between, or much of a difference between him and a guy like Josh Akimi, which Akimi's a great prospect too. He's um, probably in the top, he's probably one of our top 15, but nobody expects him to ever be anything major at the major league level, and I really don't expect that of Chavis either. Last year was his breakout season, and right after it, he got hit with an 80-game PED uh, suspension, so that's also a really bad sign. If you look at his slugging percentages throughout his time in our minor league system, 2015, his slugging was 405. Uh, 2016, it was, 330, it was uh, 372. And then last year, it was 563. That is a really big jump, um, like pretty substantial. He has... Pretty big holes in his swing. Um, he can really get beat by inside pitching. He's an all-or-nothing hitter. I'm really not that high on the guy, so if he reverts to what he's been throughout the majority of his professional career, then really trading him straight up for Britain is robbery because he probably won't, at least from where I'm standing, I don't really see him ever transforming into anything special. Or, like, you know, he'd be a platoon major leaguer. That's what I see there. So if you're not giving up much, then go ahead and get Britain. 
So I definitely hear what you're saying, but I'm going to have to disagree. Um, I think Chavez is def definitely comes with some concerns, and I think you outlined that poetically, so I won't go into them very often. I mean, he is a bad first prospect. He has a good hit tool, a good power tool, but that was really driven, and the only time we've ever seen that was last season. And then, coincidentally, he was slapped with that suspension, the 80-game PED suspension. But my quarrel comes more on the principle of trading for Zach Britton. I think Brett Britton has been a very good relief pitcher for a very long time but that was 2016 was his last really good season and granted he's been hurt but uh, so in close to 15 innings this year the Orioles Southpaws pitch at the tune of a 368 ERA and 431 FIP he's walked a ridiculous amount of batters about 5.52 walks per nine and he does not have the same control he once had because he used to be a really really great command guy but that pitcher is kind of out the window um so he's also one of the most heralded sinker ball pitchers. Obviously, he's got a great breaking sinker, but um, he usually runs better ERAs than FIPS. He induces a lot of ground balls, but um, he's only been worth a combined .6 F4 in two seasons, and that's like approximately 50 innings right there. And I don't really like giving up a top prospect, even if it's one that has as many question marks as Chavez does, for a reliever, and a reliever who only has a half year of control. Uh, relievers are more volatile, relievers are not. And particularly this one has not been very good in, over the past two years. I definitely understand why Chavez would be an interesting person to move, and I'm not very high on him either. But on the principle of trading for Zach Britton, who's kind of being overrated right now, and I think his stock is just rising because so many teams are interested, I don't know if it would be the best move for the Red Sox, to be honest, because I think he's going to get he's gonna get a package that doesn't really reflect who he is um, and what kind of value he can provide. Um, what about you, Jordan? What do you think about this hypothetical? Um, I mean, I'm looking at uh, Chavez's stats right now. Um, I mean, I think he's a, you know, he has to, yes, yeah, yeah, I agree with him. He has to be a bat first prospect. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to, like, when I, when I look at his stats, um, they seem really good, but I also want to defer to Dave for that wonderful scouting report of his. Um, uh, I mean, if from what I'm going from what Dave's seen, if, if he's, if he thinks that he has like a couple of holes in his swing or in his game, um, I mean, I like, I guess, I guess it just depends on what he, like, what he would be able to bring up to the table with, uh, when he gets to the Red Sox. Um, and so, and, and so that, that's kind of how I feel about, feel about Chavez. Um, and then on the Zach Britton side of things, I'm like, I was still really stoked about his, uh, 2015 season where, what was it? I want to, I want to say he, he ended the season with a point fifty four ERA. Uh, well, I'm, I'm looking at it, but, uh, I mean, it, uh, 2015 was a really good year year for him. Uh, but what, what bothers me is, uh, his, his injuries, like he come, he came off of like an Achilles, an Achilles injury. And then like, like you said, uh, Pat, the last couple of years, he was only able to muster a 0.6 war. So, um, I think it would be a really risky move. Um, so I like, I, I wouldn't be in favor of it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we basically said the same thing, and I think um, our voters actually said sixty nine percent of them said like Dave ran this poll on the Red Sox and filtered Twitter account. We had one hundred seventy eight responses, but sixty nine percent said they would be in favor of trading Chavez in this package, while uh, the other thirty one percent said no. 
So it was definitely an interesting poll. I think it was very revelatory of what the Red Sox nation actually thinks about it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not in favor of it just because I don't think Britain is the guy that they should be trading Chavez for. I like, for example, Keon Kella, the closer of the Texas Rangers. I think he would definitely be a better guy to go for just because he has more years of control and he's actually tends to be a better reliever, I think, especially on a year-to-year basis, um, especially 2018. He's been really, really good. I don't know if you guys have looked much at him, but he's been amazing. But now we're going to segue here, unless, Dave, do you have any response to what I just said? About um, yeah, I'll add one more thing. Yeah. So, I, I agree with you that may, that perhaps um, we probably won't trade Chavez straight up for Britain. I don't see the organization doing that. Um, I'd see them, if we do get Britain, I think we'd be trading two lesser top 15 prospects, guys like Josh Akimi and then a throw-in. Yeah. And, like, if everyone else in the world is right about Michael Chaffis, about how good he can be, I think that's the right move. However, from where I'm sitting... Like I'd rather have two small top, two of the lower top fifteen prospects than Chaffetz. So that's really where I'm standing on it. It's it's not uh, sort of building up Britain. It's more just I really don't see what everyone else sees in Chaffetz. Yeah, and I think we're kind of not thinking similar things, but like I definitely see what you're talking about with Chavez not being as great as people think, and I'm kind of on the lines of where I don't think Britain is as good as people think, so I don't want to like you know mortgage some prospects for that, but yeah, all this thing is relative, and we'll see what like Dave Nabrowski ends up doing. Obviously, the Red Sox should probably target a reliever, um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how this progresses as the trade deadline is like, what, 10 days away? That's super exciting. I love the trade deadline. But now we're actually going to break down the series, and we're going to start to roll through that. So on Friday, the Red Sox played the Tigers. Um, It was a 1-0 victory. It was a return from the All-Star break game. David Price was on the hill, and he threw six and one-thirds innings of zero earned run baseball with five strikeouts and one walk. Um, The defensive play behind him was pretty incredibly sloppy. Um, The Red Sox made numerous errors. It's probably a post-All-Star break hangover, to be honest. Um, And then Brock Holt actually got injured. Uh, The runner slid right into him in what appeared to be his left knee area. He walked it off and was able to stay in the game. But, um, yeah, he was was available today, though, and he will be ready to go on Monday. Um, So there wasn't much news there. But there was some big news in terms of Red Sox injured guys, and that's Drew Pomerantz, who's been out since, like, what? early June. Um, Pomeranz will be returning on Tuesday to pitch against the Orioles. He's a 549 ERA and 872 FIP in AAA. He's allowed seven home runs. Seven home runs and 20-ish innings and has walked more batters 14 than he has struck out in 13. That's pretty hard to do. It's not very encouraging, but his last uh, rehab start against the Charlotte Knights, which is actually right by me, um, was better. He went six innings of one earned run with a 5-2 to two strikeout to walk ratio, so that's a little more encouraging. Um, Dave, uh, what do you expect from Pomeranz when he comes back? Um, well, honestly, he's going to start Tuesday against the Orioles, which, with without Manny Machado, is essentially another rehab start, so... <laughs> I think um, he won't have um, too much trouble against them. Like, he probably won't throw a complete game by any means, but I think six innings of, like, three run balls is what you're going to expect. I am worried about him moving forward, though, just because, um, you know, like you said, those stats are awful. And normally I'm not big into reading into rehab starts because yeah. so much of rehab starts, it, it's not about the results, it's just about getting back on the mound, yeah. getting 
getting the feel for throwing again, but when it's that ugly, like, oh my goodness, and the walk rate being that high, that really shows that um, Pomerantz still isn't having control, which worries me very much. Hopefully he uh, gets it figured out with time, because we really need a we really need a back-of-the-end starter right now. Um, Johnson's been doing a fantastic job. I think we're going to talk about that later, but we really need um, someone else to step up with Eddie gone. Hopefully Pomerantz can be that guy, but I'm Gonna have to see it before I believe it. Yeah, I don't know how bullish I am on him making his return. Um, I don't make much either of rehab starts. It was a very small sample size, five starts, so please don't read too much into it. It was just 20 innings. However, it was so bad, as you outlined, that it does give you some pause, and you're like, whoa, did he really work through this injury? Is he all the way better? Can we trust him to make this start on Tuesday? But it is against the Orioles without Manny Machado. Orioles are horrible, historically bad um, in all areas, and the Red Sox can afford, and they actually kind of have to put Pomeranz in this situation because of the slew of injuries they have with their pitching staff. So, yeah, this kind of was brought out of necessity. I think going forward it'll be interesting to see if he remains in that role obviously that's going to be dictated on how he does uh in his subsequent starts but it's definitely going to be something to monitor because the red Sox are so banged up right now and eventually i think they might put him in the bullpen uh, and we'll see how that goes but uh jordan what do you think about pomeranz's return to the hill yeah, well, Dave said six innings. I'm I'm gonna go lower and say five. If he can give a, give a, if he can give five innings, and then yeah, figure on sounds about sounds like a safe a safe number to me. Um, yeah, five innings, three runs. Uh, if he can just put out like a consistent or productive outing like that, I'd be happy. Um, I mean, his 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 season up up to his injury has been so suspect and honestly just bad that, um, I mean, the bar, the bar for me, for Pomeranz is, is pretty low. So if you can give up, you can go out and, and put out um, five solid innings with, uh, with no more than three runs, and I think that'd be a win for him. Yeah, at this point, I think they just need someone to eat innings, and I think he should be able to do that. Hopefully, I mean, if you can do what Brian Johnson's done and eat a couple, like, four or five innings of, like, two earned run balls serviceable, then that's a bonus right there because what Pomeranz has showed this year has not been great, but we know what he was in 2017, so obviously there's some potential there. So we'll see what happens with Pomeranz. It's going to be an interesting conversation. I think he definitely should make this start on Tuesday. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, but... The, on Sat, we're actually going to move away from Friday because there really wasn't much besides the fact the Red Sox won one nothing. They had some offense. I mean, not really. They only scored one run. Defense is pretty crappy, but yeah, Red Sox got the win, got their 60th, 69th win of the season. Um, and then on Saturday, they had a 5-0 loss. Uh, it was only their second loss in 15 contests, which is pretty remarkable. I'm going to give the Red Sox a round of applause. Um, that's not easy to do, and even though it was a pretty ugly loss, this happens in the course of a 162-game baseball season. Brian Johnson was on the mound. He threw five innings, which was the first time he'd reached five uh, innings and four spot starts, so good for him. He did. I think he did reach over five innings in his first spot start, which was in April or March, but yeah, in his most recent four, he had not, so he that was encouraging, especially because he had zero earned runs, two runs, and five strikeouts to zero walks, so very good command pitcher in that game. He was he was definitely hitting his spot, so good for Brian Johnson for making that start. Uh, Dave, were you impressed by Brian Johnson's outing? 
Absolutely. Not only his outing yesterday, but just his outings in general ever since he went back in the starting rotation uh, a few months ago. I want to give myself some credit here. When it looked like Johnson might be traded, I actually wrote up a piece about how the Red Sox could sell him. And in it, I wrote that, you know, anytime he's been given a chance to start, he's pretty good. It's just when he was a reliever, it was something of a nightmare. He got better as a reliever, but he has really turned it on as a starter. Um, Ever since uh, he's got five starts this year, he has a 2.22 ERA. He doesn't go very deep in games, but, you know, he's not necessarily asked to. He's been a reliever most of the year, and he can't go as deep just because his body isn't conditioned to do that. I believe I actually read an article, I think it was by Christopher Smith from Mass Live. Um, he said that, and in that article, uh, he got a quote from Cora saying that his pitch count limit was basically around 80, and that in the next start, they're going to hope to bring him up to six in- innings, roughly 100 pitches. So if Johnson can keep going deeper into games as his body gets more and more ready for it, I think that's only going to compel him, only going to make him even better, which could, honestly, I think he has a claim to the n- to the number five spot for the yeah. rest of the season. He's been oh, wow. absolutely phenomenal. He doesn't have the best stuff, but he makes the most with it, which is really all you can ask him for. So, kudos to you, Brian Johnson. You're having a great year. Yeah, if Brian John, if the I mean, if the Red Sox don't trade for another starter, I could definitely see Brian Johnson being the best option at fifth starter, just because he's been healthy, and I have no idea when the hell Stephen Wright's going to come back. Uh, Johnson splits between the bullpen and ERA, uh, not his e- bullpen ERA versus his uh, starting ERA is very pronounced. I think he has a sub three ERA as a starter, and then his bullpen ERA is like in the five. So that's also small samples, but I don't know. Maybe it could be illuminating. Uh, Brian Johnson's been awesome. This this year and he's been really big for the Red Sox because they've needed him to eat innings as we just talked about with Pomeranz they've had a slew of injuries and he's done very well but yeah he, he never he was under 80 pitches in that game when they took him out in the fifth inning so I think there was room for him to go deeper but they definitely were being cautious especially because he just came off the DL not too long ago uh Jordan what do you think about Brian Johnson's year this this season yeah, I mean, um, earlier in the year, I think I saw him pitch in April. Um, he, like, the one appearance that I saw him make out of the bullpen, it was a bit shaky, but especially with the uh, with the injuries that the Red Sox have had, he's he's been a huge help being a, um, a spot starter. And, I can't, and I, I'm going to agree with uh, Dave here where, um, you know, he, he's, he can be a lock for the uh, number five spot if, you know, if he keeps putting up performances like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um... Well, that's going to be it for Brian Johnson now, but Brian Johnson, fifth starter. I don't know how most would feel about it, but yeah, he's been really good this year when he's been called upon, so it would not definitely not be out of the realm of possibility. Um, but Red Sox bats obviously fell very silent in this game. They faltered with runners in scoring position. They had a couple opportunities. Um, Mookie Betts' catch was really, really cool. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it was off the bat of Leonis Martinez, deep to right field. He went against the wall. The hops that to make that catch, he had to get up so high and he just took it back. That was an evident home run. 
and he just straight finessed. Oh my gosh, that was incredible to watch. That might have been the catch of the year. And the thing was, he played it off so nonchalantly. I think like everyone in this, like the crowd was so nonchalant about it too, because he just did it like it was just routine. Even Dave O'Brien when he made the catch, like the the home run call was pretty horrible. Like I'm sorry, Dave O'Brien, but there was not a lot of excitement to it. It was just like, oh, this is this is usual. This is casual. But make no mistake about it, that that catch was the highlight of Saturday's game. Maybe the defensive highlight of the Red Sox season. It was a wonderful catch. It was a thing of beauty, but the rest of the game kind of sucked. Um, except if you were scouting Mike Fires and you're Dave Dombrowski or someone else on the Red Sox brass, because Mike Fires went up against the Red Sox. He pitched six and two-thirds innings of zero earned run baseball, six strikeouts, three walks. He was holding the Red Sox bats silent, which has been very hard task for any opposing pitcher this year. Uh, he targeted the Red Sox upstairs with a bunch of fastballs and then changed eye levels with a big breaking ball. So he had a strategy working against the Red Sox. It was definitely interesting. Um, so on the season, he's delivered a 3.49 ERA and a 4.57 FIP. Might be rooms for some regression, but this guy has literally been the definition of serviceable, uh, especially over the past four or five years. He's got like a 1.5 plus F4 player in literally four, three of his last four seasons, and he's on pace to doing so again. So definitely someone that the Red Sox should be interesting in, uh, interested in. His strikeouts per nine are down this year. He does not strike out that many guys, but his command has been superb this this season. Um, uh, Dave, what would you think about? the possibility of the Red Sox looking at Mike Fires to bolster the rotation. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see the Sox go after a guy like him. Um, some people might look at that uh, 349 ERA he has right now and think that he's going to be a borderline top of the rotation starter, and he's not going to no. be that. His FIP sits at 475 right now, which is you know more than a full point from his ERA, so he has been getting a little lucky. And historically, when you look back at his last few seasons, he's not a guy where the ERA is always lower than the FIP. Uh, last year, he had a 5.22 ERA, 5.43 FIP. The year before that, 4.48 ERA, 4.43 ERA. So if we do trade for him, he's probably going to suffer some negative regression in that sense. He's going to get some bad luck handed to us. But that being said, uh, the really the only three spots you have set right now in the rotation are Sale, Price, and Porcello. You really need to find another guy, in my mind, because you don't know what you're getting from Pomerantz uh, when he comes back. Right, yeah. he's going to come back eventually, but with his knee, you really can't rely on him being there. And honestly, I'd put him in the bullpen just because it's less strain on the guy. And, you know, Johnson's fine as a number five guy, but you don't want Brian Johnson in your starting playoff rotation. So I'd definitely uh, try to swing for a sw- try to swing a trade for this guy. I think he could be the perfect number four in just what this team needs. Yeah, especially if Erod has more tr- trouble coming back than we imagine. Uh, he could definitely slide in to be a really nice number four starter. I don't know. I have it in my head that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be fine, and we're all going to be peaches and cream come playing playoff time. But there's a lot of time between now and then. We'll see how he progresses. Um, ideally, I would like to see this trade being executed because he is so serviceable, and I don't even think you would need him in the playoff rotation. As you mentioned, Dave, his FIP and ERA gap is pretty significant, so there probably is some regression going to happen to the mean there. Um, But he is definitely a serviceable guy. He's definitely a good pitcher, and he would 
slide into the back of the rotation for the Red Sox almost seamlessly. He wouldn't cost too much. He has a year. He, has, he signed a one-year $6 million deal with the Tigers this year. Um, so you get a half season there, but then he has another year of arbitration after that because the Astros did not execute the entirety of his contracts. They declined one of his arbitration seasons. So you'll get a year and a half for him. So that's pretty good value, especially going not even just this year, but next year too. I don't think you would have to trade that much for him, which is a definitely a nice caveat because the state of the Red Sox farm system is not great and they don't have a lot of prospects to pick from and you know make these big deals. I think he would be a nice smaller scale move that would definitely cater to what exactly we need. Uh, Jordan, what would you think about potentially acquiring Mike Fires? Oh, absolutely. Um, it would sure up our uh, the rotation. Uh, we would have a solid, four, um, I guess, four-man rotation, and especially going into the playoffs, um, as it, it'll pitching just become pitching just becomes more important. And um, I mean, like, like you said, uh, Pat, he's on a uh, he's on an affordable deal, uh, uh, and next year is his RB year, so he'd be a very cheap, um, affordable pitcher, and he's had a great year. So I think it'd be a great um, idea to pick him up. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. And I wrote an article. Were you about to say something, Dave? Did I? Did... No, no. There's a dog barking outside my window. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wrote an article on Red Sox Unfiltered about which, uh, what guys the Red, or what the Red Sox rotation needs. And he was uh, the guy that would like match the definition as a depth starter who is just good and decent and doesn't cost a lot i also listed nathan evoldi i also listed matt harvey before like he had just had an awful start which would probably lower his trade value um so he may even cost less now and then i listed i listed someone else and i can't remember but those are three potential options for the red Sox to look at so uh look out the mike fires might be the next red Sox, and there's actually now rumors connecting them after this starts so that'll be pretty interesting um, Tyler Thornburg was another hot button issue after last night's performance. He pitched an inning uh, directly after Johnson was pulled from the game. He pitched a sixth. He gave up three earned runs in one inning. Um, today he also pitched, so he kind of redeemed himself in the ninth. But yeah, he gave up a two run blast to Jose Iglesias, which um, I don't know if you guys know much about Jose Iglesias. He used to be a Red Sox, but. Um, He's batted 2,271 times at the major league level. He has 19 home runs. So, yeah, obviously that was not good that Tyler Thornburg let Jose Iglesias take him deep. Jose Iglesias was just literally the Tigers' offense last night. It was kind of depressing to see, but good for him. He's actually having a quietly good year. Uh, Might be his best in a Tigers uniform, so uh, good for Jose Iglesias. Um, But... Yeah, Thornburg was cause for some concern. People were not too bullish on him after this. They thought that maybe the Red Sox really did not, he would not resurrect himself and be the guy that they traded for. Um, but it was just one start, I think, or one outing. I think last week we were like praising Thornburg and how excited we were. That does not change my expectations or my thoughts about him based on that one appearance, granted. And, like, he's literally only pitched less than five innings, uh, not after today, but before the game. So, uh, Dave, what would you think about Tyler Thornburg now after you witnessed that meltdown in the sixth? So, yeah, my opinion is completely un- unchanged on him because he's not going to be Mariano Rivera after missing two straight years of baseball, certainly not after, like, just barely coming back. I mean, you kind of have to temper expectations with this guy. 
Um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He's never going to be good enough to justify the Travis Shaw trade. And I think a lot of people are expecting a guy that's going to come out there and say, okay, well, this is why Dombrowski gave up that much for Thornburg. He's never going to be that. I mean, Dombrowski made a really bad trade, but Thornburg can still be a really good player. He's just readjusting to life against, against major league hitters. It happens. It takes time. And um, he'll be fine moving forward. Just today, I think, what did he get? Uh, six six pitches, three outs, something like that? He yeah. Was dominant this, he was dominant today. So he'll just keep getting better and better as time goes on, as he gets more acclimated to Major League Baseball. So I wouldn't worry about it yet. So no, I'm not worried at all. Me neither. And I think the Red Sox even said after the game they had identified a potential mechanical issue that should mitigate some of these results we had seen. And then he went out in the bottom of the ninth, or yeah, the bottom of the ninth, and he was just electric. He was very efficient, methodical, and he just pitched to weak contact, which was great to see. Also, you said something about Travis Shaw and David Dombrowski making a terrible trade. I would also like to counter that if we had Travis Shaw today, there would probably be no way we would get the legend of Steve Pierce. So, in a way, Dave Dombrowski made a great move. Just kidding. Horrible move. Um, no justifying that, but yeah, we would not have Steve Pierce today, so, you know, we can... The butterfly effect is a thing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what about you, Jordan? What are you, your thoughts of Tyler Thornburg now? I mean, I, yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too, um, I guess, worried about it just yet. Uh, he's coming back from, from an injury. He's, he's getting acclimated back to baseball. Um, he had a good outing today, so he definitely, rede- he definitely redeemed himself. But I think in the, like, in the grand scheme of things so far, uh, he's just getting back to baseball. So give uh, Thornburg a little bit of a break. Yeah, leave Thornburg alone, guys. Come on. First Jackie Bradley Jr., <laughs> then David Price, then Raphael Devers. Like, you guys, stop looking for a scapegoat. These are small sample sizes. Uh, and Jackie Bradley Jr. had a three-run home run today. We will talk about that later. But, yeah. Um, so one other thing that stood out for me, this has kind of been a long time coming, but Blake Swihart has absolute burners. Um, this is a guy who grew up as a catcher. You would not expect this out of him, but the man can run. He stole base in last night's game. That's why I think it's kind of relevant. It's probably not relevant at all. But um, So I looked up his sprint speed, which you can find at Baseball Savant, and they do a wonderful job of that. Uh, so he's got a 27.2 feet per second, which is above average for a major league player. But for a catcher, which he's actually classified as a DH on Baseball Savant, which kind of weirds me out. I don't know how I feel about that. But then again, how many... You know, opportunities he actually had behind the dish this year. They don't like him at catcher, but soon he'll be reclassified. Um, And if he were to be reclassified, he would have the fifth best sprint speed among catchers. JT Romuto is number one. That's kind of not relevant to this podcast, but JT Romuto is a beast. Just wanted you guys to know. Um, So, uh, Jordan, Jordan, I'll give this one to you. What do you think about Blake Swihart's uh, speed besides the obvious that he's fast? Uh, I mean, I, like it, it's it's really nice to see. Like you said, I mean, he was, he, I mean, he's usually a catcher, which is um, you know, which is odd for for someone uh, who plays who plays a backstop position to have that much speed. So I mean, it's it's just one more um, one more guy who can uh, steal a base uh, at the clutch time, at the right time. So it's a uh, it's a good tool to have for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's an unexpected tool. What about you, Dave? What do you think about Blake Swihart's burners? 
So, yeah, he is a catcher by trade, but he is a lot more than that. That's why the Sox have been trying him out all over the diamond. He's a great athlete. That's kind of always been his thing. He's not just like, you know, a a lot of catchers, like, growing up are the fat, slow kid that can't run very fast, and some of them just happen to be good at catching. But, you know, Swihart's a great athlete, and, you know, he's probably one of the the fastest catchers in the league, and it's part of what makes him such a high upside player. Just the Red Sox kind of ruined him over the last few years. They they definitely ruined him. Um, um, but he's definitely getting a shot now, as we talked about on last week's episode. Um, so good for Blake Swihart. I think he had another hit on Saturday night, uh, which I think brings his hitting streak to five. So he's starting to hit better, which is encouraging because, I mean, like even if he like got a singular hit in a 10-game span, that would be an improvement from what we had seen from him. But now he's starting to hit more consistently, and he does bring that speed, which is an unheralded and underrated part of his package. Um, I definitely really think I could do some fun stuff with Blake Swihart's burners on the Red Sox and Filter Twitter page, especially if he starts uh, stealing more bases. So stay tuned for that. Keep your eyes peeled. Um, But now we're going to segue into Sunday's game. Um, I'm going to start with you, Dave. Uh, What were your thoughts on the game, which was a 9-1 victory for the Red Sox? So I only saw the second half of the game. I saw um, just a little bit before Benny's triple. That was the first big play I saw. But it was nice to see the bats wake up again. You knew they would just because, I mean, we're the best offense in baseball. And it was two games after the All-Star break. There's going to be some rust. But it's just always fun to just watch the Red Sox just tear the crap out of another team. This was definitely one of those games. You got to see Chris Sale be Chris Sale in the bullpen. Held it together. The only uh, not great note was Joe Kelly still continues to yeah. struggle. Where in the bad Kelly stretch of life, hopefully he can turn it around by the time September and October comes around. But you know, who knows? That's I mean, we're we're cherry we're nitpicking here if we're finding bad things in a nine-one victory. Yeah, yeah, it was a nine-one victory. So there was a lot of good. Obviously, Jackie Bradley Jr. hit a home run, which I've said for like the fourth or fifth time. Three-run shot, Apo Taco. Um, it was a thing of beauty. Um, and then Andrew Benintendi had a stand-up triple, which added two more runs to the Red Sox uh, offense. I think that JBJ's was the only home run. I think they got a few uh, RBIs on some ground outs. I know Devers grounded out for an RBI. I know uh, Nunez grounded out for an RBI. Uh, Bogarts had two back-to-back doubles, which was nice. So the offense was back. They were firing. They were hitting ball- baseballs hard, which is kind of like the hallmark of the 2018 Boston Red Sox. So Good for them. Chris Sale pitched. Uh, he was splendid again. Six innings, zero earned runs, nine strikeouts, and I believe no walks. So a very typical Chris Sale start. He was unhittable, except I think I, maybe he got, like I think Nick Castellanos hit a double, which kind of pissed me off a little bit. But other than that, Chris Sale, it was a typical Sale day. He did great. Uh, Jordan, what were your thoughts on tonight's game or today's game? Yeah, like you guys touched on, uh, Chris Sale was Chris Sale. Um, and then, I mean, I, I enjoyed the uh, the small ball antics of getting t- uh, two RBIs on, on two ground outs. Um, but I got to tell you, watching Jackie Braley take that uh, take that ball off Otako for a three run dinger that was a that was a beauty. So. I mean, good job, Jackie Bradley, and the uh, Red Sox got a win today. It was great. Yeah, it was definitely a nice victory, especially because the bats had been so quiet the first two games of the series. But I also want to bring up, and I forgot to do this on Saturday's game, Ryan Brazier. Ryan Brazier has been a stud for the Red Sox this year out of the bullpen. He hasn't pitched that many innings, but when he is done, he actually rode the bullpark 
bullpen cart into the game yesterday or onto the mound. So that kind of like made me like him even more. He became my hero and won in one move but he's been pitching very well he didn't even start the year on the 40-man roster um he's been a really nice comeback story he's he's worked his way into this role he's definitely pitched with a very good run prevention numbers but he's also complemented that with a very nice fip that suggests that this is sustainable so dave i want to know what your thoughts are about Ryan Brazier, and we, I was actually talking um, with some Twitter folks last night about where Ryan Brazier would be in terms of reliability. Could you like come up with an arbitrary number on the top of your head of where Brazier ranks in terms of Red Sox relievers and your personal reliability list? All right, so Brazier, obviously, it's a small sample size we're talking about here, but everything he's done in Pawtucket suggests that this is going to keep up, maybe not to the same level of dominance, but certainly that he can be a trustworthy guy. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I didn't know we'd be talking Brazier, but um, I think he had like an ERA and pretty close to one while he was down there. And just about all the other peripherals are good, too. He throws 100, which is obviously a good thing. You love it when guys can do that. As far as reliability goes, there's a lot you don't know just because he hasn't been up in the majors very sure. long. So uh, you can't really, you don't know how much of this is like really a hot streak, how he handles big situations because he hasn't really been thrown into those. Definitely. But I, I'd, I'd trust him if it came down to it. I think um, if you put him in the sixth or seventh inning of a close game, I'd feel pretty comfortable with it. Obviously, you trust Kimbrell more than him. I'd probably trust Barnes. I'd trust, and this is going to sound crazy coming from me, I'd trust this version of Heath Hembry <laughs> probably over Brazier a little more. I'd trust Workman more. But aside from that, I'd probably go Brazier right now. Yeah, it's definitely crazy. Those are the only ones that take. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely crazy when you like go down the Red Sox bullpen and you're like, yeah, there's probably like five or six guys I trust more than somebody who's like had like five to seven innings at the big league level. And then you really think about it and you're like, crap, Ryan Brazier is very high up on my list right now. Um, I think that speaks volumes about the Red Sox bullpen and and just some guys like Joe Kelly and Tyler Thornburg who are not putting it together right now. Um, and yeah, this kind of just also speaks volumes to the fact that they probably definitely need to upgrade in the bullpen in the next coming days. Uh, Jordan, what have you thought about Ryan Brazier's success this year? Uh, yeah, um, I think, I mean, I, I think he's a, he's a great surprise. Um, what, what else? Yeah, like he's been a great surprise. I think, I think as, as we move closer to the playoffs, if we, uh, if we can get him in on some, um, in some pressure situations and see how he handles it, that that'll really uh, tell us what we have in Ryan. Uh, but for the most part, so far, he's uh, he's been kicking butt. Been yeah, great. yeah, he's definitely been kicking butt. So good for Ryan Brazier. Proud of you, buddy. Um, but Dave, now that we're along the lines of uh, talking about Red Sox relievers, I know you wrote an article on RedSoxAndFilter.com. Check that site out because that's the site we podcast for. Um, you wrote an article about Heath Embry. And I know we talked about him a little last week, but I know you have some additional things you want to say about Heath Hembry, so I'm going to give you the floor and let you speak about the greatness that we have witnessed from Hembry this year. All right, so anyone who listens to this podcast knows I, I am not a Heath Hembry guy. Um, I've called for his uh, release a few times saying, you know, why, send, why keep sending Pointer down to the minors when, you know, Heath Hembry's no better than anything you can find on the street? Well, this is why, apparently. <laughs> uh, Heath Hembry has just been freaking amazing since June. He has a two, he has a 2.16 ERA. Opposing batters are hitting just 150 off him. 
He's striking out 14 batters per nine innings. So he has some great stats, which has led to uh, which has led to um, his really great run these last two months. So my question became, what is he doing differently, if anything? How much of this is him being good? How much is him being lucky? And first thing I did, I looked at uh, his pitches, see if he's switching anything up. He's really not. He's always used his fastball about 55% of the time. Since since uh, June, he's been using it 57%, so that's a negligible difference. Um, so I looked at his advanced numbers, and his walk rate is actually higher than it was earlier in the year, wow. which is a bad thing. His FIP is 3.4 since the beginning of June, which implies there's been a good amount of bad luck. His soft contact rate is down 5%, but his uh, ground ball rate is actually down also, which is a bad thing. So he's been getting pretty lucky, but he was also hilariously unlucky at the beginning of the yeah. season. I didn't realize... Um, how unlucky he was. His FIP on the season is 3.40, and his FIP since uh, the beginning of June is also 3.40. So he's been the same guy throughout the year. But earlier in the year, his ERA was 4.8, I want to say. And, uh, and uh, you know, since June, it's been 2.16. So earlier in the season, he was incredibly unlucky. And recently, he's been pretty lucky. That's going to wash out, and you're going to get a pretty decent guy, which is what I think Keith Embry is, I've never really dug into the numbers before, which is sort of my own fault because I've been calling for the guy's release because when judging by the eye test, he was horrible earlier in the year when really it's just been a lot of bad luck, which led to uh, all of those bad Hembry outings. So, Keith Embry, I apologize. You're not Craig Kimbrell, but you're you're a pretty solid player. Yeah, yeah, it's surprising when you dig into the Heath Hembry's numbers and you're like, holy crap, like, who? this guy's actually pretty dang good. Like, his, he strikes out almost as many batters per nine as Craig Kimbrell this year. His whiff percentage is, like, at the top of the league. His soft contact percentage is very high up there, too. So this is a pretty decent guy, and if you run soft, contact percentages like he does you could have a better era than your fit would even suggest so like i know henry has some command issues matt barnes has command issues joe kelly has command issues every single freaking reliever on the red sox besides craig kimbrell has shown you know fits of command issues um but henry is having an excellent season especially by his own standards and especially relative to a lot of red sox relievers right now so good for Hembry. Um, Jordan, do you have any thoughts on Heath Hembry this year? Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think I think what what it comes down to is is bad luck. Um, but I, I like I, I, I also at the same time I think I think the nature of the game is, is also bad luck, and and also the game kind of takes relievers through peaks and valleys. Like sometimes you're gonna uh, sometimes you're gonna have good luck, sometimes you're gonna have bad luck. So. Uh, I think it's just the way the game goes, and um, especially when you have bad luck, it looks worse than it actually is. Yeah, that's just the way the cookie crumbles with the relievers. They are very volatile, hence why Zach Britton makes me really nervous. Um, but that's we already talked about that ad nauseum. Um, that's actually going to do it for this episode of the 16th, or the 16th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Um, this has been fun, guys. Um, Dave, do you have any last departing words before we get out of here? Uh, not really. The Red Sox have 70 wins. Life is good, and let's keep the party going. 70 wins. What about you, Jordan? Do you have any uh, departing words for this podcast? 
You know, uh, I know, I know you want to get past written, but I want to, I want to make sure that I, I did, uh, state, uh, say the stat right. Okay. He did have a point fifty four ERA in 2016, not 2015. Yeah. So on that note, we can, we can move, move away from Zach. So yeah. other than that, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I laud that stat correction. That was, you did a good fact check of yourself and, and that's admirable. So good, good for you, Jordan. I appreciate that. Um, my, oh, absolutely. yeah, my departing thought here is going to be the JBJ OPS watch. If he gets the 700, I'm buying a freaking Jersey. He's at 653 before and out in like the ninth inning. So I think it's probably down to 651 now. He's getting close. He will get 700 by season's end. I don't take hot takes. I, I never do, but this will be my lone hot take and if it doesn't happen you can chastise me however you like but i'm i'm so big on jbj right now he's hitting everything like they're bombs they're moonshots they're they're screamers so jbj i I believe in you buddy you're doing great and if you start hitting man this team is going to be unstoppable i know you the red sox are pretty much unstoppable right now but holy damn if you start hitting like you did um in 2016 which isn't going to happen i don't know why i'm going to say that um but like if you're an average hitter you know that's going to be pretty good we know you can get incredibly hot sometimes so good for you um but yeah that's going to conclude it for this episode of the red Sox and filter podcast um i would implore you to check out daily dose of socks we added some features on the on the red socks and filter.com um including daily dose of socks which is a morning updates of different stats history news uh about the red Sox. it's basically to kind of give you more supplemental stuff to look on the site and it's kind of usually been a quick take that i've uh, been uh, doing so far and it's been a lot of fun and i think you guys would enjoy it um, we also have an ale standings on the page now and an updated red sox rosters so those are updated every single morning so they are very up-to-date and current and i implore you to go check those out as as well as our amazing content on the site that people like me and dave and jordan contribute to so you definitely would want to do that you can listen to this podcast on soundcloud itunes spreaker youtube uh, and shout out to the grilling truth network who's our Red, so they kind of partner their affiliate. They feature our stuff on their site, and they put their podcasts, or our podcasts, on on their site as well. So definitely go give them a uh, check them out. They're really good at what they do. Um, but yeah, that's gonna that's it, guys. Um, go Red Sox. Let's get seventy one tomorrow. We take on the Orioles, and please let that be a couple victories because the Yankees couldn't beat them. But but hopefully the Red Sox can do it. All right, guys. Until next time.